Sleep enables us to be again at this optimal place when we wake up to go and excel in everything that we do. Hello and welcome to Minter Dialogue, episode number 329. Today is Sunday the 26th of May 2019. Happy Memorial Day. And this interview is with Dr. Katharina Lederle. Katharina is an author and specialist in sleep, circadian rhythm and fatigue. She's founder and director of Sleep Services at Somnia, and she's the author of the book Sleep Sense. Cat helps people improve their sleep and live their lives to the full. Among other things with Cat, we discuss why we sleep, the benefits of getting good sleep, the workings of our internal human clock, dreams, and some great tips and tricks for improving your sleep. Welcome to the Minter Dialogue podcast, where we discuss branding and all things digital. I am Minter Dial, your host, and you'll find the show notes on my eponymous site, MinterDial.com. Enjoy the show. Kat Letterly, pleasure to have you on the show. Tell us uh, who you are. Pleasure to be here. Thank you. Um, Who am I? That's a very good question. Um, Parts of me, I would say, uh, are a sleep specialist, chronobiologist, um, basically someone who helps people understand sleep better to improve their sleep, to enjoy their life more. I think that's really who I am. Great. Well, and that's, of course, why I wanted to have you on the show. Kat, tell us how you got into sleep, because when I studied sleep at university back in the 80s, I was considered a goon, I mean, or a you know, nubblehead. What, what on earth are you doing studying sleep, Minter used to say to me, people, friends. Um, how did you get into sleep? Um, I think for me, it was just a moment of luck. Um, I actually trained in biology and zoology and really focused on on animal behavior. And after my master's, um, I worked on a project um, in South Africa with meerkats. And it was there um, that I thought, hmm, what else is here for me? As much as I enjoyed that work, it was sort of what else is here for me? Um, and I, I knew I wanted to do a PhD. I wanted to stay on in academia. And I just found, simply found this PhD in sleep and chronobiology, advertised and applied for it, um, was accepted. And then it just was the best thing I've, I've ever done. So the moral of the story is be open to new experiences. Absolutely, absolutely. And looking back for me, sort of chronobiology, so the the timing system of the body, um, that has always been there in in my studies. But first it was focused on animals and then it shifted on human beings. But the openness and taking a moment for things to come up, to develop, rather than making rash decisions, that's the other important part. Mm. So the beauty of serendipity and yet reflection. Yeah, absolutely. So... When back in my days, and I, I used to study with the marvelous Mark Rosekind, we called him a, an FSR, a famous sleep researcher mm-hmm. back in those days. Something I recall was that the, despite all the evidence and the research ongoing, we still struggled to define why adults actually sleep. It seemed that it was very clear for children what was going on during sleep. 
where are we today and, and why, why do we need sleep? So we actually, we, we still don't know. It's still a mystery. You know, the, the function of sleep is still elusive. Um, we have lots of theories and hypotheses, um, but we can't yet say exactly why. I mean, um, I mean, people are listening to this. They're all going to say, well, duh, I know why I'm sleeping. I'm tired. I need to sleep. There's, a, there's an intuitiveness mm-hmm. to it. And yet the weird thing is that there isn't a research, scientific reason for it, as I understand yeah, so there, there's still, and there's a lot of research going on, and I, I think there isn't just one function. I think there are multiple functions, and there's a lot of things we, we observe. And for me, really, I see sleep as the temporal niche um, for the body to do the restoration, um, the recovery, the replenishing of, of resources that we have used up during the day. And so it sleep enables us to be, again, at this optimal place when we wake up to go and excel in everything that we do um cognitively physically mentally or emotionally as as well um that's really what it what it does um and and so the as i said the restoration and and the recovery we see that very much in the metabolism or the brain is cleansing itself from from all the waste products but then there's also the learning and the memory and that's something i find really really fascinating that sleep is enabling us to learn um and there's one hypothesis is shy um the synaptic hypothesis which says that during the day when we are learning our, the strength of the synapses in the brain increase. Now, there's only so much space we have in the brain, right, that heart skull, um, and also all of these connections, they need to be supplied with, with energy, or they will take up energy, they need metabolism as well. Um, and so what happens overnight is that we have a scale back, a pruning of these synapses, not all of them, but some of them. Now, what we still don't understand is... Why some and why not others? Exactly. Mm. Is there a tagging that's taking Mm. place? We don't quite know. Um, But the point here is that their sleep helps us to learn, right? And learning is so fundamental, again, for our success in in life, to just survive, actually. Um, Chrono, where, where is the clock? Where's the clock? Well, we've got lots of clocks in the body. We have a master clock that sits up in the brain. And in the human being, um, it's about 50,000 cells that we commonly refer to as as the clock. Um, But then we have lots of other clocks. Almost every cell has its own clocks, clocks, so the peripheral clocks. And I like to um, think of it like an orchestra. So your master clock up in your brain is the conductor that sets sort of the timing and the beat. Um, and then all the other sort of instruments or musicians, i.e. the other cells and organs, they sort of play, play in tune. Um, what we see is that sometimes there is a dyssynchrony between your master clock and, let's just say, your liver clock. Um, shift work, jet lag all contribute to this mismatch. And that, over time, can then actually lead to metabolic problems. Um, so there's there's nowadays a lot more interest in understanding not just the master clock but also the peripheral clocks, mm. how they work together, and how our modern society or the, the lifestyle of our society is impacting on the system. Mm. Wow. Dreams. Don't we need to dream? 
do we need to dream? So, really interesting. And um, I... I'm really amazed and admire every dream researcher because I find it such a, not just fascinating subject, but also so hard to do. Because when you wake up in the morning, if you remember your dream, is this the dream you had or is this your waking brain filling in, adding to it? You know, so so the data you're collecting as a researcher there, you know, I always wonder, you know, how... Well, when I say accurate, how real is it? No, that's still not the right word. Um, but what you're working with, yeah, there's so much uncertainty. It's ephemeral. Right? Yeah. yeah. And then so, some, some of us dream and remember well. Some of us dream, don't remember. It can be a good experience, bad experiences. And, yeah. and uh, there obviously our emotional context weighs heavily both in what we dream about, what we remember about our dreams, our ability even to want to remember them. Yeah, exactly. So it looks like we all dream. Um, it's the remembrance. That's that's the thing. But you can train yourself. You can get better at remembering your dream by keeping a journal. And every morning, as soon as you wake up, you just write down whatever you remember. Or if it's nothing, then you may write, I'm, I don't remember anything. But you spend some time there. You reflect. Um, and it's quite likely that after time, um, things will, will come up and you'll get better um, at it. You mentioned before that, let's say, the current state of affairs says that sleep is about restoration. Dreaming is not that. You were rapid eye movement, your brain's on just as it is in the conscious level, mm-hmm. down to your throat or your, your neck, sorry. Yeah. And then the rest of your body is paralyzed, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So something, are the synapses being pruned during the dreams, do you think? What? Why would you do in a period of restoration dreams, which are, are not about relaxing and, and, and restoration, in my opinion? Anyway. Mm-hmm. So the scaling of the synapses is most likely to happen in, uh, in the deep sleep, in the non-REM sleep. Now, exactly. Now, the, the REM sleep, can you could still view it as a restoration of your emotions and your emotional reactivity. So the idea that REM sleep um, and dreaming is part of REM sleep, right? It's it's a um, an aspect, but that REM sleep is to help us process our emotions from from the day that we had, or maybe the last few days that we that we had. So again, getting us to um, to a more balanced state that we don't immediately react. Um, in the same way or to the full degree as we did before. So again, so there again, that um, notion of restoration is still there. And we get their nightmares. Yet their nightmares. Yeah, that's a sleep disorder. Yeah. So there might be things, different areas in the brain that are overactive. Again, we need to understand it, understand it better. But often, it is related to something, to an event that happened in the life. All right. So of the huge questions that are out there inevitably when one starts starts to talk about sleep uh, how much sleep do i need cat how much sleep you need i could tell you to be honest you know we have to discuss a bit more what's what's going on for you because we all differ in the amount of sleep we need um and so in the media reports you have to sleep for eight hours between 11 p.m and 7 a.m I think nothing is further from the truth because you as an individual have to find out what is my sleep need and what are my sleep timings. 
and then sleep according to that window. That's the important thing. So everyone has to do a little sort of discovery there themselves. However, having said that, there are sort of uh, there's a broad range um, or recommendation out there, which is for an adult is between seven and nine hours. Um, for me, key is how you're waking up, how you're going about your day. Do you wake up feeling refreshed and allowing for a moment of sleep inertia in the beginning? But then do you feel refreshed? Do you rely on caffeine or other caffeinated drinks? Do you rely on a nap? Um, all of these things should be taken into consideration before saying, okay, this is how much sleep you need. And then also sleep need can be different or the duration can be different between days depending on what you are doing. The more active we are, the more sleep we will need. Well, I also believe that the more active I am, the less easy it is to fall asleep. Mm -hmm. So if I'm doing a marathon, the chances of me just falling asleep during the, you know, whatever many hours I have to run mm -hmm. are light. Yet if I'm reading a book for the same amount of time, I would argue I will more likely fall asleep. So if I had a lesser amount of sleep before a marathon, notwithstanding the performance issue, mm -hmm. I will be more likely to stay awake. Whereas if what I'm doing that day is reading, therefore more reposed, I'm more likely to sleep. I think, again, everyone is, is slightly different. Is for me, how I view my, how I judge my activities in relation to sleep. So my beliefs around sleep play a huge role. So the psychology mm. there plays a huge role. Well, like some people say, well, I don't need sleep, you know, that kind of a belief. Yeah, exactly. Although, you know, that is a belief that is just not true because we all need sleep again. Although we don't know why, but we do need sleep. Yeah, exactly. Because we see what's going wrong if we don't get enough of it. But to then say immediately, well, that's why we need to sleep. That's just, it's not that easy. Right. So you mentioned naps just now. In the military, there's, or in the Navy, there's often this idea of two times four, two by four. So you, you, or you will stay up for eight, go to sleep for four, stay up for eight, go to sleep for four, and you continue on the cycle like that. And there are some people that suggest that that's a really great way to sleep uh, because you get, you know, you get sleep deprived and you go quickly into deep sleep non-REM because you're always in a fatigue and you get you get the benefit of that early sleep that's more restorative longer non-REM period in when you're in stage three four and so that's an argument and then there's another one which says well sleep for a bit and then have a nap because especially as you get older of course mm -hmm. your sleeping habits will change so how does one you know get to know what's the right you know story I mean you know obviously who you are but How, how does one, what are the signals or the tips that you might have for getting to get that right? Um, so the ideal scenario is, you know, take maybe five or six days holiday um, and you, you don't leave the country or certainly not the time zone. Um, and then you sort of do put away all the caffeinated drinks, alcohol, especially blue light um, emitting devices, and then just go to bed and get up as and when you feel ready for it. Um, and it probably takes a few days to sort of repay the immediate sleep debt. But then by day five or six, you should know what your need around sleep is. And then it's about sticking to that as much as you can. 
a lot of times when we talk about sleep, it's actually the time when we're in bed. But it seems to me that it's the time when we're not in bed that is the opportunity to make for better sleep. In other words, the rituals you have going into bed, the type of worrying that you have in your conscious day, which resurfaces as the moment you wake up or doesn't allow you to fall asleep comfortably. So it feels like the most of the day and the, what you're thinking during the day impacts the way you sleep. Absolutely. So that's the thing I argue um, in my book, Sleep Sense, that the moment you wake up in the morning, that's when you start preparing for the next night. Yeah, That's really it. It's not just the hour or last two hours where it's all about the wind-down routine. Um, it starts much, much earlier, exactly what you said just there. Um, and for me, again, in, in the society that we live in, it's so fast-paced. You, know, you, you haven't even finished one thing, you're starting already the next. Um, you mentioned worry, the anxiety levels are much higher in our society. Um, that all has an impact on sleep. So if I find ways to reduce anxiety or the common word stress, stress levels, um, while also exposing myself to a lot of natural light, preferably in the early part of the day, um, all of this can help to improve nighttime sleep, the quality and duration of my nighttime sleep. Mm. Point is to not just wait for the evening. You start much earlier. Mm. And so how much do you give credence to good beds and pillows? Is that really a vital component to it as well? You have to feel comfortable in your bed. You have to look forward to going there, Yeah, that sort of sanctuary to spend there, let's just say, those mythical eight hours um, or a little bit longer if, in case you read. Um, so make it as comfortable as you want it. If you lie there and you are uncomfortable or even in pain, that will affect your sleep. Yeah, That will reduce the quality, um, potentially also the duration. So I have another belief, uh, Kat, which is men and women sleep differently. Tell me I'm wrong. <laughs> um, I can't, unfortunately, because there are, there are differences. And again, you know, that's very sort of general. Um, but generally speaking, uh, women tend to go to bed earlier, so their clock is set to an earlier phase. So this is this famous you know, master clock. Yeah, exactly. Um, but because we want to spend time with our partner, um, women then go to bed somewhat later, yeah? So therefore already reducing sort of the duration of the sleep um, they need. In addition to that, you then have sort of biological differences, biological events um, like um, pregnancy, menstruation, menopause, postmenopause. All of that also, the hormonal fluctuations, playing a huge role there. Yeah. And interestingly, um, there's also a perception issue, um, and I'm really fascinated by this. It, most women subjectively will say that they don't sleep well, but objectively measured, their sleep is actually much better and they get more deep sleep than men, for example. But the subjective feeling is entirely different. Yeah. And for me, it's interesting to find ways to, to support women there to, to get that feeling of, I had a restful night. Mm -hmm. And get, get over that perception. Because as soon as you have a perception issue, you know, it becomes my reality. Yeah, that's that's how I that's my reality for me, mm. and for me, it's always important as a, as a therapist to to work with that, to listen to the experience of the individual, and to find ways of okay, how can we change this? How can we make this better? All right, what are the 
let's say top tips that really could just most measurably change people's approach to sleeping because we know that the number of people that have sleep disorders or chronic sleep deprivation sleep issues in general is so high and then rampantly everywhere it mm-hmm. feels to me what are the things that, what are the big, big tips that you you prefer to give to everybody my problem starts with the tips you prefer to give to everybody. Right, you can't do it because for everybody. It's, I, everybody's I believe different. It, the, the situation is often, you know, is, is different and plays a huge role. Um, but what's important for me is, as I said before, is finding your personal sleep window mm-hmm. and sleeping according to that window. Creating a comfortable space, making sleep a priority yeah, in my daily life. Mm-hmm. And that's what I mean, lifestyle and, and sleep behaviours. That is all sort of geared towards supporting sleep. So seeing sleep as an integral integral part of my life. Yeah, that's all right. So um, being an author, as you are, Sleep Sense, uh, what books would you recommend if someone's really interested in getting better at their sleep, understanding better how they could sleep personally? Or are there your are there any uh, FSR VFSR books? very famous sleep researcher, books that you would recommend to people to read? Mm-hmm. So in order to learn about sleep in, in more detail, yes, apart from my book, um, there's also um, Matthew Walker's book, Why We Sleep. Mm-hmm. Then there is a book by Professor Russell Foster um, and a colleague of his. Um, it's the short introduction to sleep, I believe that's mm-hmm. called. I'll put um, install this in the show notes, of course. Pardon? I'll put all links to all this in the show yes. notes. Um, and I think, yeah, I think those two books, they are great ways of, of finding a way in to, to sleep. And then it's about listening to your own body, what is helping me and what isn't. And if there is a racing mind, which is something you, you mentioned earlier on, um, it's about looking of ways, how can I work with this mind rather than striving to control that racing mind Mm -hmm. and stopping it from racing because that can make you very rigid um angry frustrated if if you can't um and it's likely that you won't because the mind just does what it what Right. It's supposed to do and things. So that's what I'm saying. It's that's a way of autonomy, working. Isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's to work to work with it. Um, and for me, um, mindfulness meditation is a wonderful way to help to help you regulate the mind in a more helpful way. So, in t- I, as I meditate daily every morning just to 10 minutes, mm-hmm. would you suggest that the meditation, if sleep is an issue, it's better to do meditation before you go to bed, but sometime in the evening or in the morning, what would you recommend? No, um, meditate when it's the right time for you. If you put it to the evening with the expectation this will get me to sleep, this will improve the quality of my sleep, it's unlikely that it that it will. So if you're doing it without intention, yeah. it, it will go wrong because you're a little exactly. racy head. You're, you're just you yeah. reject it. Yeah. You, well, you're waiting. You're setting up an experiment in a way, and you're monitoring: is my experiment working? Which way is it going? Yeah. And so you could argue you're keeping yourself awake there by having that expectation. If the expectation I'm falling asleep isn't met, how do you feel? most likely angry, frustrated, anxious, how's the next day going to be? So you're staying in that vicious circle, Mm. right? So mindfulness 
mindfulness in itself hasn't been designed for anything. And mm. we all have the ability to be mindful. What does it mean? It just means noticing the present moment non-judgmentally. Yeah? Being objective about what's going on. And if I don't judge, if I remain objective, I remain calm because I'm not getting worked up. I'm not getting angry. Equally, I'm not getting excited because both of these are activating. Mm. I'm staying in that calm, neutral place. And for me, actually, I prefer, like you two, to meditate in the morning. It helps me. It sets up my day. It helps me to be in that calmer place or to return to it much quicker. Yeah? Um, and then that can sort of support me also in the evening or at night. And, and it starts by just acknowledging my mind's racing tonight. Wow. It's like you said, you start off thinking about your next night's sleep the moment you wake up at some level. Yeah. So, chronos, time, time mm -hmm. clocks, the thing many people will say is, I don't have time. Mm -hmm. Of course, we only had exactly the same amount of time that we've ever had. And that's not changed. But there is this feeling that we are in a race against a faster time somehow. Yeah. So has that had an impact on the internal clock? Is there any correlation between the, you know, let's say the internet and the, the, the speed with which communications are happening mm -hmm. and the sense of an acceleration of time on our internal clock? No, the clock's still ticking, you know, with its rhythm. And again, that rhythm is different between people. Hence, we've got also different sleep timings. Um, for most people, it's a little bit longer than 24 hours, right. something around 24 hours and 10 minutes. Yeah. Um, but for others, it might, be, it might be shorter, just 23 hours and 58 minutes. Yeah? Um, and that's down to your genetic makeup. But that has stayed the same. That hasn't changed. But that's sort of maybe also why are we experiencing all of these problems because our cultural time, the societal time, that is, is going faster and faster and faster. And it's also imposing a certain rhythm on us, which for many people, not everyone, but for many people, isn't in sync with their body rhythm, which mm. is what I said earlier on, can then lead to metabolic problems. Mm -hmm. Well, it, it strikes me as one of the biggest topics. Uh, I, I always talk about it being one of the three most important levers of productivity in business, sleep. Mm -hmm. And yet we don't talk about it enough. Is something taboo about it? Or why isn't it that schools don't teach sleep? Why is it that the businesses don't have courses on how to sleep better? Why is it always about how to use Excel better? Because when we, I think for a long time, the view has been, you know, sleep's a waste of time. Mm -hmm. I would say it is slowly changing. People are becoming more and more interested, literally waking up to the importance of sleep. Um, but for a long time, it's been viewed as, as a waste of time. And it's in this capitalistic world, it's all about consuming, producing and, and consuming when we are asleep we can't consume, right? So the interest is about keeping us awake um, for as long as possible. Hence, we have 24-7 society, constant lighting, if, if we want it. Um, so now, though, that I, I, I do believe, really, that that view is slowly changing, and we're going back to what the ancient Greek um, have, have said, that you know, sleep is, is of value to health and well-being that we give it again the priority it it should have um 
schools you mentioned schools for example you know they are they are starting to teach children something about sleep or to adjust school start times mm-hmm. and these children who go through that that you know school start times are are made to match their clock and not the other way around right the adults who are running it yeah Sorry, say again. It's it's made to run the adults who are running the schools time yeah. and the parents' time. Got to go to work. And also society, right? It's again, it's this. I have to go to work. Um, often it clashes with adults as well. Um, but it's just like this is what we do in order to be productive. Um, not acknowledging that people are different, have different needs, and if we paid attention to their needs, actually they would be more productive, which then overall increases productivity of the company. So that's not looked at. Um, people aren't open enough. But again, I think this is changing, and children will, this is my hope, um, demand much more from their future employers um, around sleep and, and work times. Now, we, I've, we've seen some schools experimenting with meditation and mindfulness and, and the benefits that can have. So ever hopeful that will continue. Naps this is my next topic, Kat. Mm-hmm. I am I'm 54 years old. And have willingly uh, and enjoyably uh, decided that naps should be part of my daily routine. Uh, there's such a pleasure. It's short and sharp. That's how I do it. Mm-hmm. Do you counsel naps? Do you think that's just a sign that I'm not sleeping enough during my night and I should be doing more by night? Mm-hmm. And and then uh, what what do you recommend for people with naps? So I think they're nappers and non-nappers. So I certainly am a non-napper. I can try, but just don't my dad is a napper and he's done this all his life early afternoon 20 minutes 30 minutes that's what he's doing um he doesn't have a sleep problem he sleeps well at night he wakes up feeling refreshed and so that's all fine so and i think this is really what it comes comes down to again it's on a very um individual basis um some people just need that extra top up um but they, again, they sleep fine at night. And for others, they have a problem. They try to compensate something here that's missing. And then I would say, be careful with the napping. Let's work on the nighttime sleep. Let's improve that first and see how, how the napping behavior then is developing. In my mind, I have a little narrative that says, you just mentioned yourself. You don't. Your father does. I do. My wife doesn't. I'm making a connection. Women and men sleep differently and naps are different for women and men. Any research that... Warren said, or I'm just um, barking up the wrong tree. No, not that I have seen any research on that. No. no. Right. So, last question, Kat. Oh, some people may want to nap. Maybe it's the good thing. Maybe it's not. We have Google and the likes of Facebook and so on, who are really trendy, and they have foosball tables and nap pods. Mm-hmm. Napping at work. I mean, in in Japan, it's said that the chief executives, and actually in many countries, the chief executives feels that they have the right to put their head down for a power nap and then you, and yet the rest of the, the company is, gets just to work hard because that's productive mm. what is your opinion on the possibility of introducing naps into work is that a bad idea like the foosball table or open spaces or a good idea how do you go with that I think again there's no one size fits all answer to that um, so in and itself, offering people the, the opportunity to take a nap, I think is great. But one also has to look at, okay, why are they taking that nap? What are the working conditions like? What is their sleep like at night? If they're working long hours, staying late, starting early in the morning. Two-hour commute. 
Exactly. Then you can quite quickly imagine, you know, the the opportunity to sleep at night is is compressed, is very short. And then having a nap pod is just a way of compensating for the lost sleep um, from the night time. Um, and, and then I would rather work on the long working hours, the working conditions um, or parameters to allow people to get the sleep they need at night. That's for me is, is the priority. So somehow it sounds like the nap is a symptom. It can and, be. And, and you, I mean, whether it's sleeping poorly or conditions at work. And so you need to go upstream and yeah. figure out what's the cause. Yeah, exactly. And changing that culture. Yeah, leaving the nap pot there by all means, but changing the overall culture that it's the health and well-being of the individual that that is the priority because that's your biggest biggest asset, right? You want that to be able to function well to increase productivity you hope. overall. And uh, naps, you know, obviously I've read a little bit about this, and there are different forms of naps that one mm-hmm. can take. Uh, I used to say never more than forty minutes, so I didn't get into yeah. REM sleep. I now feel that sort of 15, 20 minutes, sort of like stage one and two, I don't get into three, four, so it's not too deep. That feels like a natural amount of sleep. Is this, again, something that has to be per person, per day, what the situation is? Or do you have more specific counsel on how to nap better? No, I would keep it to the 20, 30 minutes, um, absolutely, to avoid falling into deep sleep however if you if you didn't sleep enough at night maybe even for a number of nights your pressure to sleep will be much higher and, and get the run be, in and do the one and a half hours yeah but it may also be that you get into deep sleep much quicker right. yeah um so it's just to be a bit mindful there and and having this awareness um of of your own sleep your own sleep behavior fabulous cat thanks for coming on the show Tell us how we can find out more about you, get your book, and uh, follow what you're up to. So, uh, first of all, thank you for inviting me. It was a pleasure to be here this morning. Um, the book is on Amazon called Sleep Sense. And otherwise, if you want to get in touch, uh, the best way would be via my company, Somnia. Um, just reaching out that way, sending me an email. Um, I will put all that in the show notes. Thank, thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks for having listened to this recording of the Minter Dialogue Show. You'll find the show notes and other blog posts on minterdial.com. If you enjoyed the show, please head over to iTunes to give a rating and review. And to finish, here's a song I wrote with Stephanie Singer, A Convinced Man.
questions, we've got answers. Business leadership, ownership, and sales can be challenging. Tune into the Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast to learn from the world's experts. Join me, your host, Diane Helbig, as I chat with people who have expertise in various areas of business. You'll enjoy the lively conversations that are focused on providing you with the ideas, tips, and suggestions you need to realize greater success. Get what you need for your business, when you need it, from the people who have the answers. Accelerate Your Business Growth is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and is available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.